we have been doing a uh, interesting series lately though, over the last few uh, Bible studies uh, due to the fact that we are now only meeting on the internet. Uh, I wanted to change course from our study through the New Testament in the evenings. Um, the Lord actually divinely appointed as though to finish the book of Romans right before we uh, had our uh, COVID-19 uh, quarantine. And right now, also in the mornings, we're going to the book of Genesis. But I wanted to study that as a group with uh, you guys in person. So instead, I, I felt led to teach on certain men and women in the Bible who went through some harsh and difficult trials through their lives. Uh, we, we learned uh, about King Hezekiah and how he had faith in his God in, in the book of Kings. That was last Sunday, and prior to that, we also saw God again dealing in the book of the Kings and, and saving people from the famine. How God used uh, these prophets like Isaiah, prophets like Jeremiah, to speak to his people. Tonight we're going to be looking at the prophet Daniel. You see, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel was taken as a slave. You see, he was put into captivity. During the, this time when there was the division between the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah, Many times other kingdoms and nations would go forth and they would conquer these lands. And one of these kings was a very well-known king known as King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the Babylonians, one of the most ruling and great nations that there ever existed. They ruled over the old world. Now King Nebuchadnezzar, he had taken the Israelites captive and he took them bound to Babylon and during this time, what he did is he actually took the skilled Israelites, those who were educated and had trades, those who were smart, even handsome, he took them to be his own private servants who would serve him. And among these men were guys like Daniel. We're, we're going to talk tonight about Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego. These also were men who were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. And what I love about these men is they were men of integrity. They were men who were put to the test, and they give us an example of what to do when we are also put in tests in our life. So in this time, before we jump into Daniel chapter 3, I kind of want to give us a, a preview of, of King Nebuchadnezzar and the type of man he was. King Nebuchadnezzar, in the middle of the night, as he was asleep, had this dream that disturbed him so greatly that he woke up, and he woke up all his magicians and soothsayers and the sages and all the spiritual people, even the priests. And he brought them to himself, and he's like, man, I've had this nightmare, this terrible dream. So I, I need you guys to interpret this dream for me. 
And then so the magicians and the soothsayers say, okay, king, well, tell us your dream and we'll interpret it. But the king, he says, no, you tell me what I dreamt of. And then I'll know for sure that the interpretation that you gave me is correct. And the guys are like, what do you mean? Who can ask such a thing? No one's ever asked for such a thing as this. Because he wanted to make sure that what they said was true. So he looked at them and said, if you guys don't tell me what my dream is and what it means, then I'm going to cut you guys in pieces and destroy you. And he began to literally kill people, the, the magicians and, and the sages. So then the priests of Israel, they, they hear of this and they're all, give him his dream and interpret it. So what does Daniel do? He says, okay, let's pray. So he prays. And he gets his men together and they begin to pray. And that's an example for us of what to do when the trial comes our way. Sometimes we're so quick to act. But we should be like Daniel, constantly being in prayer, constantly being in fellowship with the Lord. So Daniel begins to pray and God gives him the interpretation of this dream. So then Daniel goes to the king and says, okay, king, I'm here. Look, look stop the killing. I know your dream and its interpretation. And he says, King, as you were asleep, you dreamt of this great image, this giant statue. And at the top of the statue, its head was made of gold. And then after the gold, its body was made of silver. And then the, the lower part was made of, of brass. And then after that, its legs were of iron. And then after the, the iron legs were the feet of mixed iron and clay. And then this giant mountain of a stone came down and broke this giant statue. And the king's like, whoa, okay. He really did know what I dreamt of. And then Daniel tells him, look, this is the interpretation of this dream. You... Nebuchadnezzar, and your kingdom, the Babylonian Empire, is the head of gold. But after you is going to rise an inferior nation, and then after them another inferior nation, and more nations will come. So you see, he's prophesying of, of what actually took place. First, the Babylonians were the world-leading empire. And then after the Babylonians came the Medes and the Persians. They conquered, and then they were the leading empire. And after the Medes and the Persians, then came the Greeks. And then after the Greeks, then the Romans. And since the Romans, that fall of the empire, the world has been separated and mixed like iron and clay. So he was giving them this prophecy of the world nations and what was to come. But then what happens? This giant stone, this mountain of a stone comes and shatters down this image. And who is that stone? That stone is none of other than the kingdom of heaven, that's Jesus' kingdom, which is going to rule his reign of righteousness. And we look forward to that. So King Nebuchadnezzar hears this dream, and he hears its interpretation. And then we find out his very next action in Daniel chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says this, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, 
made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So what did the king do right after he heard about the head of gold? He built a whole statue of gold. It says in verse 2, And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So notice who he's gathering, everyone, all the politicians, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the officials. And then verse 3. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before that image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar created this image, what looks like in defiance of the word of the Lord. God gave him the prophecy that he eventually would be ruled over by another inferior nation. And almost in a prideful way, he says, no, he builds this giant image. It says it was 60 cubits and width six cubits. That It's translated nine feet wide and 90 feet tall which is a peculiar size for a statue because it'd be really skinny compared to how tall it is. So what a lot of Bible scholars believe is that it was probably a giant stand of gold and then at the top would be this image of this man. And as I'm looking at this monument, I'm reminded that men and women in our lifetimes have often tried to create monuments of themselves. They've done it throughout history, literally. If you go to the, the Colosseum in Rome, there's a, a, a huge Colosseum in Rome. <laughs> it, you can look at, at all these great statues in, in Greece of men and women who, who wanted to be remembered for. Sometimes it's just their head. Sometimes it's just their body and no head. And there was different prices for all these things because people wanted to be remembered. Now today, we have people who build skyscrapers and, and monuments of themselves or, or images and uh, actors and actresses, um, movie stars, all these people who are trying to build monuments. They're trying to create legends out of themselves, trying to create legacies out of yourself. Now, for Christians, the legacy that we build should not be our own legacy, but it should be for the glory of God. You see, when we build for our own monument, that monument, it's temporary. It's going to fade away. It has no lasting life in eternity. But only what you do for Christ, that's forever. My pastor and his pastor Chuck Smith and, and Raul Resaw have ingrained this into my mind. You have only 
one life, and it will soon be past, and only what's done for Christ will last. And it's true. All the things that we work on today, what's eternal? Take inventory uh, in this study tonight. Take in personal inventory. Don't just look at the characters in this study tonight as an account of what happened, but see yourself in these characters as we study this chapter. Now, look at verse 4. It says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he gathers all these people together. And right away, one of the, the first things that, that I notice is it says all kinds of music. And immediately I'm reminded right now in our current day and age how all of the great uh, and the big stadiums right now that were hosting uh, music concerts, they're all shut down right now. And it's kind of interesting uh, how movies shut down. Music is shut down. I know that God is using it so that we could focus on him. So in this time, when we have these pleasures and these recreation things taken away, some of them aren't even bad. But when those things are taken away, God is using that time so that we can focus on him. Are we doing that with our time? Now, all kinds of music, uh, what also comes to mind, because it talks about all these different instruments, is how uh, music is, is so captivating. Music, I've heard it, it's the language of emotion, where music can bring you into this feeling, this vibe, this mood. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's neutral, and sometimes it's evil. So we need to be careful with what we are allowing into our hearts and into our minds. I myself, being a musician and loving a, a lot of bands, Christian and secular alike, I have to be careful for myself, first of all, not to stumble myself and not to put myself in a state of mind that is contrary to the Lord. And also, I don't want to stumble my brother or sister who struggles in that area. If somebody struggles with listening to certain types of music and then you invite them into your car, into your home, and you're blaring the music, all of a sudden they might feel convicted just listening to it. Or you might pull them back into a world, into a realm of places where they shouldn't be for their walk. So we need to be careful with music. Now, they're all gathering for this music ceremony. For them, it was this pagan worship, really. 
And they were going to bow down at this gold image. If you continue in verse 8, it says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O God, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So now we have the entrance of, of these men who come to the king. Why are they coming to him? Because they're jealous. They're jealous of how these men have found favor in the king's eyes. And they want to get rid of them. So what do they do? They start to mix rumors and truth with some lie. In, in verse 12, they, they said that Rachach, Meshach, and Abednego, that these men did not pay due regard to King Nebuchadnezzar, but in fact, they very much respected King Nebuchadnezzar. We'll see that later on. And they did give him what was due. The other truth that they did say was, no, they did not serve the gods of King Nebuchadnezzar. And we're not to put God's law underneath man's law. So they have this sin of jealousy that overtakes them. I'm reminded of Cain. He became jealous of his brother. His brother was worshiping the Lord and in faith. And Cain saw this and he got upset and angry because his offering, which was not done in faith, wasn't accepted by God. Do we, do we get off? offended and, and, and jealous when we see other people being blessed around us? Are we constantly trying to show how much better our life is compared to other people because we're jealous? Jealousy is a terrible thing, and it leads to, to hate. And Jesus said that if you even have hate in your heart for your brother, then you've already committed murder in your heart. That was why the Pharisees sold Jesus. That was why Judas allowed Jesus to be taken for 30 pieces of silver. The Pharisees were jealous of him. They were jealous of the place that he took, the position that he took in the people's hearts and minds as king, as God. And they saw that they were losing their power and their authority in comparison to Jesus. The Pharisees wanted the attention on themselves. They were the religious leaders at the time, the Jewish leaders, the priests. And they, they wanted all the attention, all the glory of man to be placed upon them. And then Jesus came in and said, look, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
And they were like, whoa, this guy is taking away our power. He's taking away our glory. And it was never supposed to be their glory in the first place. And it led them to have Jesus put on the cross. Which God used. Which God used so that we can be forgiven for our sins. So even when the enemy tries to use his tactics in other people's lives to harm us, ultimately he works all things together for our good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now in verse 13, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Okay, so King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 13, he kind of has a little hissy fit. He's like, ah, he's got the, just the rage going on. Uh, in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, notice in this next verse, in verse 15, kind of has a uh, mood change. He says, now, if you are ready at this time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you from my hands? So now he's kind of giving them this compromise. He's saying, look, I'll give you another shot. You come back in, we'll set the music up, we'll set up the altar, and you just got to bow down, worship it, and it's all good. Kind of the way Satan tried to tempt Jesus out there in the wilderness. He said, look, I'm going to give you all these kingdoms. They're all going to be yours. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to bow down to you. Man shall... Not live by bread alone, he first said, but by every word that proceeds from God. He said, you shall not test the Lord your God. You shall honor the Lord your God. And every time he came back with the word of God at Satan, the word of God, and that's what we need to do. When Satan is, is tempting us, we use the word of God. We remind ourselves of God's word. We pray God's word into our life. We share God's word into other people's lives, and then we live out God's word in our life. So he's offering them this compromise, and I, I do see kind of like a, a change in his, his mood where he went from fury, rage and fury, this intense, fiery rage, to giving them this compromise. And then verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Wow. Look at the courage in this. Their, their conviction, their commitment to the Lord. 
You see, we should have convictions that are worth living and dying for. And notice what is up against them. Notice how they are now at risk for their lives. Their very lives are at risk here. And they're still not compromising in their walks. They're not going to bow down to an idol. When we are put in that position, in that place where we're being tested, how do we respond? Do we have that courage to say, no, I'm not going to disobey the Lord? To say, I'm going to wait on you, God, before, you, before I take a step, Lord. I'm going to be obedient and wait upon you. Do we have that conviction in our hearts that says, God, if you're not in a place, then I don't want to be there. Do we have that conviction where you don't want to leave the peace and the grace of God? You know, in our, in our lives, we have to die to ourselves. Are we committed to the Lord? Or it's, it's not just we, we serve God because we just want blessing. God is not a vending machine where we just pray and wait for the blessings to come. But a commitment is you're devoted to him regardless of whether you're in trial or in a season of blessing. And that's across the board for a, a lot of different things in life. Marriages. Commitment in seasons of trial or whether you're in blessing. But they were committed to the Lord. In verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Wow. You see, God doesn't always spare us. He doesn't always spare us from the terrible consequences that exist here on this world. Sometimes we have to go through the fire. And look at how even in the midst of this trial, in verse 21, it said that they were dressed in their trousers, turbans, other garments, because they were paying respect to the king and to his, his reign. So they did pay their due respects. And they didn't want to bring a bad witness upon the Lord their God. It says in verse 22, Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the midst of the burning, 
fiery furnace. Wow. I love the attitude that they had. Their attitude was one where whether or not God delivers us, we're not going to serve you. They knew that God could save them. But even if he didn't, they were still going to be obedient. In our lives, are we like that? Do we have that, that no matter what, it's ride or die? Is that our mentality? Or do we wither and, and run away from, from discomfort in our lives? How do we deal with suffering in our lives? You see, sometimes suffering comes, and instead of taking that position and walking in the Lord with it, we run away from it, and we run to vices. We run to alcohol or, or sexual immorality, or we run to, to entertainment and something to distract us. Rather than allowing God to complete that work that's in you, and God gives us these tests, and when you don't pass the test, he often gives us the test to retake. And I don't want to keep taking over the same tests again and again. So we need to have integrity as Christians. We need to be honest when we're working. We need to be loving when we're with our family. We need to be loving when we're working too. But we need to have those attributes that Jesus talked about in, in the, the Beatitudes. I encourage you guys to, to do a study on, on how, uh, when Jesus talked on the Mount of Olives, how flipped upside down his lifestyle was compared to this world's lifestyle. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Man, today it, it's so opposite where it's you rise to the top and it's doggy dog and whoever is the most biggest prideful guy that's out there, they're the ones who are in charge and they're the ones who get served. But Jesus said, don't let it be so among you. He said, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be great, then be the servant of all. And so we must also be servants. And if they treated Jesus badly, why do we flee when they begin to treat us badly? So now maybe we're in the fire. Maybe the season that you're in right now is one of immense suffering, immense pain, of uncertainty in this world today, the what we're living in right now. I believe that God is allowing his church to be refined through this. Through this quarantine, through this time of, of separation from people. God is allowing us to be refined. And I don't want to leave the presence of the Lord. When I say that, there's something I do want to clarify. You see, God is omnipresent. But I don't want to, as the Bible teaches, walk away from his love. I don't want to leave his loving kindness. You see, because I could reject the love of God. And there still God meets me, but with his chastening. 
just to be theologically accurate, I do have some, uh, one of my good pastors and friends, Pastor David Nzunza, would uh, slam me upside the head if I gave an attribute of God wrong. So God is omnipresent. Now, continuing on in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, and I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. There is another in the fire. And I, I know we sang that song, but it's true that Jesus is in your fire. He's there, he's with you, and he loves you, and he has a plan for your life. And he uses the fire to refine us so that we could come out stronger, so that we can come out to remove the dross. The, the picture that's always illustrated, and I, I do like the illustration of a pot that is melting the gold. And in order to make that gold super fine, because first they take the gold out of the ground and it's got all these kinds of dirt and deposits of minerals in it that they want to get rid of. So they melt the gold. And as they melt the gold, what floats to the surface is the dross. Whatever is not pure gold comes to the top. And then they scrape away the dross off of the gold pot. And then they put that gold and they melt it again and make it hotter. And then more dross comes up and then they scrape it again. And they pour that gold into another one where it's hotter. And they continue this process until the gold is so pure and so shiny that when the craftsman looks down in the pot of gold, all he sees is the reflection of himself. And that's what Jesus is doing with us in the fire. He's refining us constantly more and hotter and allowing these things to take away the sin, the impurity, the hiccups, the immaturities in our life so that we can be more like Christ and resemble more of his image so that we can share that with others, share that with the world. Because the world right now, right now we're so concerned, which is true, it is, it's a terrible disease that is flooding our world right now the coronavirus. But there's a much greater tragic disease that floods our world, and that's sin. And millions die every day, and they end up in hell because they don't have the cure, which is Jesus Christ. And they don't allow him to be, they don't allow Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. We see we're so uh, focused right now on six feet apart and no contamination, wash your hands constantly because we want to protect our loved ones and our family members, but we're more concerned that they don't get this virus than we are about their own salvation sometimes. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about it. We definitely should be concerned because we don't want our loved ones to get sick and to perish. We want them to be healthy. But how much more concerned should we be for their salvation? 
So that in this fire that we are in right now, in our state, remember that Jesus is in the fire. He's molding us. He's refining us so that we can be more like him. Now in verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out here and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, the hair of their head was not signed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. See, all of Babylon, the entire nation, was able to witness this awesome miracle that Jesus, the Son of God, just performed. You see, when Nebuchadnezzar said, look, I see one in the fire and he looks like the Son of God, this is actually God himself. This is a Christophany. A lot of times in the Old Testament, we, we see pictures uh, of Jesus Christ coming in. And this is the Son of God. Now, the only thing that when they were in the fire, they were there with Jesus, the only thing that hurt them, the only thing that it didn't hurt them, but the only thing that was burned were the bonds that Nebuchadnezzar, the world system, had placed upon them. So a lot of times when we're in the fire, what is being burned is the things that we're not supposed to have. Sometimes in our life, God will take something from us because we're not supposed to have it. Maybe it's a bond. And sometimes we willingly give that thing to him. I encourage you guys, once you give that thing to him, let it go. You don't put your hands back on it. Because when you put your hands back on it, a lot of times what ends up happening is you don't get it back, but you do get burned. It's not the type of burn that you're supposed to be going through anymore at that time. So the bonds were burned off of them, but they didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't have the sense, the smell of what the world was. In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the gods of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Ah. Uh -huh. Do you guys remember who they initially were saying was going to meet them? Who was going to save them? They were saying that their God was going to save them. They said, personally, our God. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, blessed be the God of who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What does that tell us? That God is a personal God. He's not a God that's far away, who doesn't care about you. No, he's a God who loves you and sent his only son to die on the cross for you. He's a God who sends Jesus, his son, in the midst of the fiery furnace. I love that song as we were singing it today. I was singing it today as I was at work going through my own personal trials with mechanical failures. I was like, gosh, I was like, there is another in the fire. And you know what? 
Sometimes it doesn't always fix the things that are in front of your face. But God gave us peace. He gives us peace in the trials. So God met them. And Nebuchadnezzar recognized this. And he made this decree that no other God should be served. And then he says in verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. He definitely likes chopping up people. It's kind of scary. And their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. There's something I do want to note about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a, a ruler and king who we, we definitely see a lot uh, of sin and a lot of uh, bad characteristics in him. But God definitely has his hand upon this king. Later on, as you continue in Daniel's prophecies and in Daniel's book, you're going to learn how God directly sends messages to King Nebuchadnezzar and warns King Nebuchadnezzar of his pride. And because King Nebuchadnezzar just continues in his pride, God ends up allowing King Nebuchadnezzar to turn into this beast-like animal where he ends up in the wilderness for seven years until he worships the true and living God. And once he repents and comes to his sound mind and worships the true living God, God restores the kingdom to King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, before that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, what he did in his life was called henotheism. And this happens when instead of making God the one true God in your life, your Lord and Savior, you do take God as God, but then you have mixed with him all these other polytheistic gods have all these other idols in your life. And idols can be anything from a person, a, a place, a job, a pursuit, a thing, cars, movies, whatever it is for you. Whatever's getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ, money, wealth, fame, glamour, whatever it is. And instead of having God reign in your heart and in your mind fully and completely, you have God mixed with all these other idols in your life. And that's not what God demands of us and commands of us. So we need to get rid of all other idols in our life. And I love how at the end of this, God has favor on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're promoted in the province of Babylon. See, sometimes, like in Job's case too, after Job went through the hardest trial of his entire life of losing his family, his wealth, his, his goods, he learned that God was sovereign over everything. He was the creator of the heavens and the earth, and that he understood the world way better than Job did, and that he knew why Job was going through what he went through, and that Job was just to trust that he loved him, that he was a personal God, that he cared for him. And God ends up restoring Job with more than what he had before. And you know, eventually, eternally, 
it's going to be way better than what it is now. Where when we dedicate ourselves to Christ in the end, everything that in this world is not for the Lord doesn't even matter anymore. What matters is Christ's glory and Him living through us. See, in, in trials, God perfects us. That we can be in this trial for a time, but that there is an exceeding weight of glory ahead of us. Where there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, no more tears, but just you and God and the family of God worshiping and growing and learning in perfection forever. And we look forward to that. So tonight, the study, remember when their fires come because you're either in a trial or there's a trial coming your way right now or you just came out of a trial. But when the fire comes, remember that Jesus is, He's with you. He wants to be with you. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us, the Bible teaches us. But he wants you to accept him in that trial, in that circumstance. So there is another in the fire. Amen. We're going to end tonight with some worship. I do want to pray as um, we get into this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. I pray and I ask, Father, that if there's anything in our life, Lord, that, Lord God, we are allowing to become an idol, Lord God, that you would remove it, Lord God. I pray, Father, for those who are in a trial because of obedience, Lord God, who are, Father, being persecuted, Lord God, and they've done nothing wrong. I pray, Lord God, that you would remind them that you love them, that you have a plan for their lives, that there's nothing too hard for you. And, Lord God, that you are perfecting in them and working in them, Lord God. May we grow to share your love with one another. May we grow to share your love with the world, Lord. I pray, Father, for anyone right now struggling, Lord God, in this time, Lord God, of dealing with, Lord God, a virus, Father, and the quarantines, Lord God, and the loss of jobs, Lord. I pray, Father, you would give them peace, Lord God, that surpasses understanding. I pray, Father, that you would provide for them in every way, Lord God, that you see fit, and help us to trust in you in all these things, Lord God. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to move out, Lord God, to do your perfect will. Fill your church, we pray, Lord God. Lord God, may we not, Father, leave this season, Lord God, without learning the lessons that you have for us. We love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord God. May we bring glory to your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
is another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the seas And should I ever need reminding Of how I've been set free There is a cross that bears the burden Another died for me there is another in the fire There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the seas and Should I ever need reminding Of how I've been set free there is a cross that bears the burden Another died for me There is another in the fire And I could see the light in the darkness when the darkness holds to him and I can hear the roar in the heavens as the space between wears thin and I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls cave in nothing stands between us nothing stands between another in the fire standing next to me there is another in the waters holding back the seas and should I ever need reminding what power set me free there is a grave that holds nobody no power lives in me there is another in the Sunday morning. Uh, check out our uh, YouTube page. There's some cool new podcasts on it with uh, Mike Hernandez, Nicholas. I'm sorry, Mike Sanchez, Nicholas Hernandez. Uh, but we love you. We're praying for you guys. So have a great evening and God bless.